0: Whatever I might say by way of introduction of Adam Evans at this time would fall far short of the picture you received about this family and about this man from that report in Bible class. And so I'll take no more of his time. Brother Adam Evans, come speak to us. Good morning, you will open your Bibles to Acts chapter 5, Acts chapter 5, beginning in verse 12, in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, we find the apostles were performing various wonders, signs, miracles before the people. And of course, as they were doing so, they were confirming the word that they were speaking because what they were speaking was the gospel of Christ, the words of Christ. And to confirm those words, they were able to perform these miracles, wonders, and signs. And as they were doing so, there were many people that were very excited. Uh, They were enthused because they could come and receive that healing and to receive that blessing in their life. And what we find in this passage is that there were those that were coming unto the apostles to receive that healing, to have uh, demons cast out, to have various wonders and miracles performed. And so as you continue to read, you find, uh, beginning in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, the apostles were gathered together in Solomon's porch. They were performing these wonders. And verse 14 says, And believers were the more added to the Lord multitude." both men and women. So there were a lot of people that were obeying the gospel. They were being taught. They were receiving the miracles at the hands of the apostles, receiving healing. And you can just imagine what that would have been like to have been able to be there in the presence of the apostles, to be able to witness these miracles that they were performing, and to hear the gospel of Christ proclaimed, to find many believers obeying the gospel. That is, they were being baptized into Jesus Christ. But then we continue to read, and we find that not everyone was as enthused about this process. There were those that did not want the gospel of Christ to be spread. There were those that did not want the truth about the resurrected Messiah spread around. And so they wanted to hinder that process. They did not believe that Jesus was the Christ. They did not believe that he was the one that was prophesied in the Old Testament that would come. They did not believe that truly he was the resurrected Savior. And so they were set out to hinder the progress of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we continue to read in verse 17 about those that were filled with indignation. They were upset. They were angry because the apostles were being effective. They were spreading the message of the gospel so effectively they were filling Jerusalem with the doctrine that they were teaching. And so it says that the high priest rose up and all they that were with him. We find the group or the sect of the Sadducees, they were filled with indignation. They were upset. And so they, in verse 18, laid their hands on the apostles. What did they do to them? Well, they put them in the common prison. And so, as the apostles were there in the common prison, verse 19 tells us that the angel of the Lord came in the night, opened up the prison doors brought them forth and said, that is, and gave them a message. What is it that the angel of the Lord gave to them? What is it that the angel of the Lord said to them as they came out of this prison cell? Verse 20. Go, stand, and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. You say, well, what do you mean? Words of words of this life. Words of the abundant life that is only found in Jesus Christ our Lord. Words of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Words of the life that we're now living the Christian life. Those are the words that they were to go out and to begin to speak to those that were around them and so they did. They obeyed this command that had been given unto them. They went out and began to preach and to teach. They were in the temple Teaching and preaching Christ. So the next day, there was a group of religious elite. You have the high priest, and you have all of these individuals who feel like they are just so religious. And they had great positions, great prominence among the people, and they gathered together in what we would call kind of like a council or a conference. They gathered all of them together into one place so that they could meet and decide what they were going to do about The apostles. And so they did. They all gathered together that morning. And and of course they thought. That the apostles were in the common prison. So they all gathered together. All high and mighty. And they were going to bring in the apostles. And so they sent for the apostles. But when they went to try to find the apostles. They couldn't find them. They were no longer in the common prison. And and they didn't know where they were. They had no idea. Well. Well finally a messenger found them and in verse 25 it says then came one and told them saying behold the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people what the words of this life that is the christian life what it means to be a disciple of jesus christ to, to lay down your former life, to put it away, and to follow Christ, no matter what. And so that's what they were teaching people. And so as we read here, we find in verse 26, the captain, he went with the officers and uh, laid hold on them. But the Bible says that he, he laid on hold on them, if you will, without violence. He brought them without violence. Why? Because he was scared. They were scared a little bit. They were fearing the people, uh, lest they be stoned to death for grabbing a hold of them. Because everyone else, that is the general public, they, they were not filled with indignation over what the apostles were performing. They were actually excited about what was taking place. They were happy that, that people that, that needed the healing were receiving it. And yet, we find here in this passage that the officers brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should have been stoned. And in verse 27, it says, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them. So you can just imagine this scene where they are kindly asked to come into this gathering together of these religious individuals. And so they're brought in before the high priest, and the high priest is up there feeling like he is a religious, devout individual. And he begins to rebuke the apostles. And he said, well, did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name, that is in Jesus' name? And behold, you filled Jerusalem with your doctrine. And that is exactly what they had done. They had filled Jerusalem with their doctrine. They had followed the command to go and to preach and to teach. And that's exactly what they were doing. They were sharing the message. They believed it so much that they were willing to go and to follow it and do it. A lot of times today we say, oh, I believe, I'm a believer, and we do nothing about our faith. We say it, and we don't live it. We say it, but we never go out and tell other people what we believe. But yet the apostles believed it so much. They truly did. They were willing to go to their own deaths if it meant that that they were going to die, if it meant that they were going to go into prison, so be it, no one was going to stop them. They believed Jesus was the Christ. How do I know that? Well, (laughs) read verse 29. How did they respond? Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, What? We ought to obey God rather than men. And they believed God over men. And they were going to follow God because the command that they had received to go out and to preach and teach the gospel, the saving message to mankind, it came from God. It didn't come from men. And so their their marching orders, it came from God. It did not come from men. And so ultimately they were going to obey God rather than men. Men could tell them all day long, you can't preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And you know what they were going to do? Preach in the name of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they served a higher calling. And they were following Jesus Christ. No one could stop them. And so we continue to read as this continued to progress what was stated. We find that they brought a wise man, if you will, in verse 34 into the group. You have Gamal, a doctor of the law, who had great reputation. And so he was there, and they began to listen to his advice. And matter of fact, he asked if the apostles could step out, be put outside for a moment, so that they could all have a discussion. And his advice was this. If this work is of men, it will come to nothing. Ultimately, as I'm paraphrasing very loosely, (laughs) ultimately, if this work is of men, it's going to come to nothing. If this work is of God, you cannot overthrow it. You cannot stop it. You cannot hinder it. It is going to move forward. It doesn't matter what you do. And so Let's just let it be. Let's let them go. Let's let them go on their way. And if it's of God, it doesn't matter what you do. If it's of men, it's just going to come to nothing. And so this was the advice of this wise man of great reputation. And so you see that in verse 38 and verse 39 of Acts chapter 5. So they, the group of religious individuals, heeded to this advice, even the high priest, heeded to the advice of this wise man with reputation, and so that's exactly what they did. But in verse 40, we find that they called in the apostles. They all agreed, okay, we're going to let them go, but then they called the apostles back in, and then they shook their hands and say, we're letting you go. Go ahead. You're free to go. Is that what the text says in verse 40? Look at verse 40. It does say that they brought them back in. It doesn't say anything about sending them on their way in a nice Nice fashion or being kind to them, it says that they beat them. They beat them. And it's not a, not a hard pat on the back. I'm talking about a good old fashioned beating. They received a beating. And then they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus. And then let them go. So we ask the question. So we try to make application for ourselves as we're going through and reading this biblical, biblical account. How would I respond if I was in the same situation? If I received this type of persecution, if I received this type of hardship, how would I respond? If the brethren did me wrong, or if someone that I felt like was a religious leader did me wrong, and personally I felt like I had been wrong, that something bad had happened in my life, How would I respond? Well, notice how the apostles responded to this situation. A lot of our brethren would go away murmuring and complaining, and uh, it's bad. And yet, how did they respond? The Bible says, and they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing. They rejoiced. You think, well, how would I respond if I had received tremendous persecution, even physically, for doing what was right? For making the right decision, for standing up for Christ, for standing up for the gospel, I I receive persecution, even possibly physically. Receive that persecution. How would I walk away from that situation? You know, a lot of times, I, I'm not sure that we would walk away rejoicing. We can learn from the apostles. What an attitude to walk away, saying, "I'm going to rejoice because I know that my God was glorified by." By, by this action that has taken place and I'm going to walk away rejoicing. And it says that they counted worthy themselves worthy to suffer shame for his name. How will I respond when I face situations such as this? Will I respond, will I lash out, will I say things I shouldn't say? How will I respond when I'm put into that corner and I'm backed in that corner and I'm being pressed? Will I lash out, will I let my anger come out? Will I say things I shouldn't say? Will I try to hurt people with my words? Will I attack them? What will I do when I walk away from this situation? How will I handle myself as a New Testament Christian? We can learn a lot from the apostles. We don't, we don't find them doing those things. We find them handing, handling them, what, what, what we would say is, with class. They walked away with their heads held high, saying, I'm a New Testament Christian. And if it means that I have to suffer for the name of my Savior, so be it. He died on the cross. He suffered on that cross for me. For me. For my sins. If this is a small thing to do, okay. It's, it's just such a small price to pay to be a New Testament Christian. To follow in the footsteps of my Lord and my Savior. So be it. They handled it so well. But notice also there was a command for them not to speak in the name of the Lord. They were commanded not to go out and to preach or to teach or to speak in the name of Jesus Christ. So how did they handle that? How did they respond to this command of those that were religious to say, You can't do this. Don't go out and don't preach this gospel. Well, we continue to read in this text. In verse 42, It says, and daily in the temple and in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. That's right. How did they respond? Well, they had already said, we ought to obey God rather than men. But not only did they say it, they lived it. They were living it. They were living the Christian life. They were going out and daily they were continuing to preach Jesus Christ. What are we going to do when the time comes in which someone says, you can't teach this or you can't teach that? You can't preach that doctrine. Whether it is coming pressure from the government or from somewhere else, what happens when we're in that situation where we're told, you can't do that? Are we going to continue to stand up for Christ? Are we going to continue to stand up for the truth in love and teach our neighbor in love the truth? are we going to try to water down the gospel of Christ and change it or adapt it? The truth is truth. What are we told if we can't tell people that they have to repent of a given sin? It could be any sin. What if we're told we can't teach that? You can't tell people that they have to change. No, the gospel of Christ teaches that a person must repent or perish, that they must repent because there's a day that is coming, that is the judgment day. And so thus we must repent and live for Jesus Christ. We can't continue to live in sin and expect to be a New Testament Christian and enter into heaven. We can't walk through the pearly gates holding Satan's hand. It doesn't work that way. There has to be repentance. That's part of the gospel message. But what happens when we find ourselves in a situation where people are telling us, you can't teach that, you can't preach that. What will we do? Will we obey God rather than men if it means that we have to go to jail to do so? Will we obey God rather than men if it means we're physically going to be abused for standing up for truth? There may come a time in which we have to face that. I hope that never comes. But what will happen if we do? You know, I've already seen in, in the news over the last month, just in the time that I've been back to the United States, things like this taking place where there were students in a university, Someone was questioned. They came in and said, are you a Christian? Had a gun. They had to rise and say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And they were shot. Hmm? We see those things happening, don't we? In the world, you say, well, we don't have persecution here. We teach revelation like, well, that happened back then, and we don't really deal with that. It happens all the time, all over the world. It just really hasn't come to the United States until recently. It's really appearing quite often now. But it's all over the world. There are people having to stand up for their faith and their life is taken for it all the time. We just don't hear about it on our news because our news won't report it. It happens in the world all over. So what about us? What about right here in this place? When it comes to our door, when we're asked to confess our Lord, will we do it? Will we have enough courage to stand up for what's right and to say, I'm a Christian? I believe in the Lord Jesus because the truth is we can't allow terrorism to terrify us. If we're New Testament Christians, we have nothing to fear. Nothing to fear. If our life is taken, so be it. We have a home in heaven that awaits us. We have our Savior that's going to be there to greet us and to welcome us in. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter ye in. What do we have to fear? If we're living a faithful Christian life, then therefore, just as the apostles who who didn't have that fear, we look at them and we think, "Wow, they're super, they're amazing." You know, how did they look? They were Christians who had faith. That's it. That's the bottom line. Though they may have had the ability to perform miracles and do these things which we don't have, they just had faith. If we have faith like they have faith and truly believe that Jesus is Savior, then we're going to stand up. We're never going to back down. We're not going to allow people to do that to us. Because we believe no matter what, we have a home in heaven. We don't have that fear. I want to leave something with you as we study this section of scriptures. I want us to go back to verse 20. I really want to focus on verse 20. Because I believe that maybe we've been misled a little bit into believing that it's okay for us simply to live a good Christian life in front of people, to live the example in front of people, and never speak the words of this life. We've been told that all we have to do is to live the Christian life before others. They see Christ living in us, and then miraculously, somehow, they're going to know what they must do to be saved. It doesn't work that way. But that's what we've been told. We just have to live a good life in front of people, and then they're going to know Christ. Well, they may see our good works and and, and look toward a God, but they need to hear the gospel of Christ. Notice what this verse says. What if the apostles had just gone out and just lived a good life before the people? They didn't actually go out and verbalize their faith or to tell people what they needed to do to obey the gospel of Christ. They just lived it. Would people have been able to know what to do to obey the gospel? You see, they were told by this angel when they came out of the prison cells in verse 20, go stand and speak. Speak what? Words. Speak what words? The words of this life, that is the Christian life. Now, brethren, we've got to live a good Christian example. We've got to live a good life. I mean, that's part of the Christian life. You can't go about speaking the words of this life and living like Satan. That doesn't work that way. That's, that's hypocritical. Destroy the body of Christ. We, we shouldn't do that. We must live a pure life. We must be holy as God is holy. We must be pure as God is pure. We must seek for those things. And yet, at the same time, brethren, we've got to start speaking about our faith. Seems like such a liberal idea, right? I'm a conservative gospel preacher, but it's, it's, people hear that. And, Boy, just sounds liberal. We need to start talking about Christ. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because people aren't going to know what to do to obey the gospel. They're not going to know about the church you read about in the New Testament. They're not going to know about it unless you tell them about it. Because they may see your car leave, you might be dressed up, your neighbors may notice that you're not there on Sunday, and they they assume that you're going to worship somewhere. But if you've never gone over there and told them what you believe, they don't know. They don't know. You can have somebody live next to you as your next-door neighbor your entire life, and if you haven't shared the words of your faith, they don't know what you believe. They can assume, but they may assume that you're a member of a denomination here or there. They don't know. Brethren, we've got to start speaking up. We've got to start using our words to let people know. Yeah, I believe that Jesus is the Christ. I believe that he is the Savior. I believe he shed his blood on the cross for me. I believe he purchased the church with his blood. When we begin to speak the words of this life, we can make a difference. Brethren, please go out and live the Christian life before others. Please let them see Christ living in you. But please, from this day forward, start using your words. You say, well, what about your neighbors? Do your neighbors that live next to you, that live close to you, do they know your faith? What you hold so dear in your heart, what you believe so firmly and so strongly, do they know? What about your relatives? I know that's a touchy touchy area. You start talking about relatives. But still, do you... Does your relatives, your family members. Do they know what you believe? Start telling them. Use whatever way you can. Send them a Searching for Truth DVD. Write them a letter. Tell them, even if they're not close to you. Send them a note. Tell them you care about their soul. It'll make a world of difference. We cannot be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Paul said, I'm not. I'm not ashamed. And sometimes we say, oh, I'm not ashamed. But then, when it really comes down to it in life... We're too scared to open our mouths. It's fear that Satan will put in every single one of us. Oh, you can believe the gospel, but don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody. Just live. Don't tell anybody. That's what Satan's doing to the church. He's telling us not to say anything. Brethren, we need to go and start speaking the words of the abundant life that is only found in Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you're not a New Testament Christian, you can obey the gospel of Christ. You can believe with all your heart that Jesus is the resurrected Messiah, that He is the Christ. And based upon that belief and that faith that comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, based upon that belief, then you have to be willing to change your life. You see, I can go over to Tanzania, East Africa, and I could have thousands of baptisms. I got a good Bible study method that I go to every single door. I believe I could baptize most people really easily. But what happens is I don't do that because I'm trying to teach them the whole gospel. If I only focus on baptism alone, that's not the ticket. Just dunking people in water is not the whole gospel of Christ. You see, a person has to be willing to repent, they have to look at their life and realize that their sin is has separated them from God. That their sin has caused God hurt. That they have disobeyed God. That they have godly sorrow because they have fallen away from their Father. And so they see that and they want to change. They want to turn away from their past life and their past sins. And what repentance is, is a a change of mind and a change of heart that results in a change of action. And so we encourage people to see that to know that what they've done is hurt their God, that they've disobeyed their God, and that they have to change their life and begin to live for a resurrected Messiah. And so a person must repent, Acts 17 and verse 30. We must confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Matthew chapter 10, In verse 32 and 33, we see that confession that is there. We also see in Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Brethren, that confession is made unto salvation to become a Christian, and that confession that is made unto salvation is made every day you are a Christian. Matthew 10, 32 and 33. We have to confess Christ daily. We have the idea that confession is something that we do in order to become a Christian, and we're done with that. Check. Done. We go on. We have to continue to confess Christ in our life. So we confess with our lips that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we are immersed in water. We are baptized into Jesus Christ. We call upon the name of the Lord, according to Acts chapter 22 and verse 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins. Calling On the name of the Lord. So The question is, have you called on the name of the Lord? Scripturally, biblically. A lot of people want to separate calling on the name of the Lord from baptism, but the Bible doesn't do it. Why should I? Call upon the name of the Lord and realize I can't save myself. I'm not good enough to save myself without God, without Christ. I can't do it on my own. And so I submit unto God. I call out unto him and say, Lord, I cannot save myself. Save me. We submit in baptism where we reach the blood of Jesus Christ that washes away sins. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you given your life to the Lord? If not, why not today? Say, from this day forward, I'm giving my life to the Lord. Maybe you haven't been faithful as you should. I'm going to sing a song in just a moment. Just as I am. And that's right, I. It's not just as you are, and I'm not going to look at you when I sing the song and say, just as you are, I'm going to say, just as I am. That song is meant to make you reflect. Can I sing that song? Can I die at this moment just as I am, just the way I am? Am I ready to meet my maker if it's judgment day today? Just as I am. If you're not faithful, you can come back. You can say, Lord, I haven't been living, I have not been living my life the way I should From this day forward, I give my life to you. And for every day after, I'm going to give my life in service unto you. Lord, I'm coming home. Can you sing it? Just as I am. If you have a need to obey the gospel, won't you come? It's together we stand and as we sing.